Well, good morning. I want to actually start this morning's service off a little bit off script. I have a, a good friend of mine is actually a student pastor in the Oxford area up in Michigan. And uh, most of us are aware of the, the tragic events that happened recently. And he was just texting me just saying like, hey, like, just pray for us if you could. And so instead of just being an individual, um, as a church that prays, as a praying church, I want to invite us all to just spend a few moments here this morning uh, bowing before God because we've got brothers and sisters in Christ, families trying to minister and love and offer hope and peace uh, in this Christmas season against a very tragic event that happened up there. So I'm actually going to kneel and bow and lead us in a word of prayer this morning before we dive into this morning's message and ask you to pray with me. So let's pray together here this morning. Heavenly Father, you are, you are good and you are gracious. There is sin and brokenness in this world. There is pain, there is turmoil, there is hardship, there is pain. And oftentimes we don't have an answer for why some of those things other than it's just the world we live in. doesn't mean it's right doesn't mean it's good. It doesn't mean it also shouldn't cause heartbreak. Because all of these things are devastating, Lord, that have been happening. Year after year after year, it seems like there seems to be no end. And so, God, we pray right now as a church, if we have people up there who we know who are being affected by this, we pray for peace. We pray for the churches, the brothers, the sisters, the ministries up in that area, God, who are doing whatever they can to, to extend your love, your hope as, as best they can amidst this tragic situation. God, we pray for the laws of your justice to be moved and to be swift. We also pray for your love and peace to the the families of those who were specifically attacked and, and, and murdered as a result of this, God. I don't have any words. I, I, I can only fathom what it would be like to, to literally just hear on the news and then to realize that you had lost a child as a result of this, of this madness. And so, God, we, we pray and we ask for your sovereign goodness and your sovereign peace to be given and to be restored as best you can. Be with those pastors and those churches up there doing whatever they can this week and in the weeks and months to come to offer a slimmer of hope hope and peace of what will be restored with you in eternity. We offer this up to you, God. We know that you hear us because our prayers are righteous because your son, Jesus, lives in us. God, it's your name that we pray. Amen. Well, this morning we kick off our teaching series uh, called Long Expected, and it's this play on words of what the Advent season is. Every single year we get to the season of Christmas, and that traditionally it's referred to as Advent, and it's kind of, Advent is to Christmas what Lent in some similar way is to Easter, and these four key pillars of the kingdom of God, peace, hope, love, and joy. And it's kind of a thing that comes around every year, and there's some other traditions, though, that I want to just spend some time starting off this morning. Uh, maybe having some voting, if this causes debate in your home, uh, then maybe we can just settle some of that here right now. So we're going to need some participation. If you're watching online, you can also raise your hands or, or type in the comments as well. So let's just start off uh, with a pretty easy one. Those of you who have Christmas trees in your home, how many of you are team fake 
tree. Show of hands, you know, it's okay, be proud in that. Yes, thank you. So many of you are fake tree people versus how many of you are real tree people? Like the only way to get a tree, you go to a farm, you cut it down, you, you deal with all the fire hazard and the needles and all that type of stuff. Okay, that was, that was pretty good. Um, here's another one. Uh, when it comes to stockings, if your family does stockings, how many of you guys would say, first thing, can't open a present until the stockings are open? Stockings first? Okay, I know some people are the opposite. Stockings are the last thing because maybe you hide the good things in small packages to send a message, that type of stuff. Okay, good. Um, this one, I, I don't know how contentious it is. It's not as contentious as the next one. I know for this fact, but when it comes to um, a dinner, the Christmas dinner, how many of you guys are saying, it's all about the ham. Give me the juicy Christmas ham, maybe with coated in butter and injected with Dr. Pepper or something. I don't know, whatever you do, versus turkey. You know, it's like, hey, Christmas, it's like basically Thanksgiving round two. How many guys, turkey? Okay. All right. Uh, and here's probably the one that it comes up every single year is, well, we'll just put it plain, Die Hard. Okay. Is it a Christmas movie or not? Okay. How many of you say it is not a Christmas movie? Like you are logical human beings. Your head is on straight. Die Hard is not. Okay. How many of you are like, no, no, no. Totes a Christmas movie, right? Okay. And here's what happens. So let's just, let's just talk about this for a second. I'm going to get on a little soapbox here for a moment. Because people, what they usually say is, Die Hard is a Christmas movie because, well, it happens around Christmas time, right? That's, you know, there's Christmas stuff going on. So by that logic, you know what else should be considered Christmas movies, okay? Babe, Pig in the City. You know, the little pig that becomes a, there's a Christmas scene in that one, okay? Rocky Four. The bout between Rocky and Ivan Drago, the, the Russian, happens on Christmas Day. I don't see anyone going to social media about Rocky IV being a Christmas movie that needs to be accepted into the Christmas canon. And also, you could also say Iron Man 3, right? There's that scene, Tony Stark, he's all alone, it's around Christmas, and the boy goes up to him and he says, loneliness is heightened at Christmas, which kind of makes sense because Tony Stark is basically Scrooge with significantly better technology. But I digress. When it comes to Christmas, every year there's a lot of traditions, and, and arguably the longest standing tradition when it comes to Christmas isn't presents. It is this idea of Advent, this season of preparation, this long expectation of the Savior of the world to be born. And that's what we begin to celebrate here this morning, specifically over the next couple weeks, but hopefully something that we do year round. But if you're saying, so what is the point of Christmas? What is Christmas all about? I believe it's about this, is that Christmas is God's kingdom coming to life. It's all about how there was this God who loves the, the creation and this story's been unfolding for thousands upon thousands of years. This is just quiet period for 400 years that we're gonna talk about in a few weeks. And then finally, God's kingdom comes to life through the birth of his son, Jesus. But oftentimes begs the question, why? Why Christmas in the first place? Why did Jesus have to be born? I read something this morning that said a God of wrath necessitated that Jesus had to die, but it was a God of love that led Jesus to do it in the first place. 
And so hopefully we set aside this season every year to reflect not just on the fact that there was a little baby boy born of a virgin in a manger in this little middle of nowhere town called Bethlehem, not just because he's the center of all human history seems to revolve around this, but because of what this baby was born to do, and that is to be the savior of the world. And that's where we want to kick off this Christmas series this morning is ample answer the simple question of why. And I believe it starts with this is that peace is broken. Peace is broken. And if you would let me, this is what I want to talk about a little bit this morning, is this idea of peace. Now, how many of you, it's okay to admit it, show of hands here, would say you have a problem of some sort in your life, okay? Like big, small, right? Okay, it's okay. Everyone's, everyone just raise your hand. We all got problems. It's okay to admit it. How many of you would say the person sitting next to you has a problem in their life? How many of you would say the person sitting next to you is your problem? No, I'm just kidding. Don't go there, okay? Okay. We don't have enough time to do all that type of marriage, counseling, couples, cancel that type of stuff. All right. But it's the truth in life is that, that we understand that there are problems, there are issues, something is broken and off. And there's this innate desire in each and every one of us that if the pieces are broke, breaking or falling apart, we want it to be put back together, Right? Recently, uh, we got our, our Christmas tree, we got our fake Christmas tree uh, for the first time in the last three years. Our daughter's turning three in January, so this is our first time having a Christmas tree. And so my wife decided to start this tradition that every year she will take them to the store and they can pick out one ornament. And then as the years go on, they can kind of see maybe what they were excited about and whatnot. You ever notice, though, how ornaments kind of look like toys? And so my son goes and gets a Mario ornament. He's super into Mario right now. And they bring it home and they put it out on the tree. And then 30 seconds later, it's not an ornament. It's an action figure. And they're playing with it and they're running around. And my daughter drops it on the ground and his little fragile arm breaks off. And so what inevitably assumes? Like mad chaos, hysterical crying. They come up, dad, can you fix it? Of course I can. I got super glue. All right. So I super glue it together. I put him up on a shelf. All right. Let's just not touch these for a while. And then like a week later, somehow they, they, they climbed him the Mount Everest of cabinets. They get him down their plane together with them again. And Mario breaks again. His little mushroom he was holding on to. So at first it was like it breaks at the elbow. Next time it breaks off in his hand. So I said, okay. So I put it back together and I'm gluing it together. And this time I'm going to be smart. I'm going to glue it around the seam too. But as I'm gluing it together, it sticks to my fingers. And so I go to put it back on the shelf and I kind of wiggle it, like trying to, and I flick it off and it bounces and falls to the ground and he breaks a leg. And so then now I got, it's my fault and I got to glue his leg back together. You see, whenever there is pieces and something is broken, there's this idea, hey, let's put it back together the way it ought to be. And when we say the word peace, that's what we're talking about, is that there is something that needs to be restored. And we're not talking about a political peace, we're not talking about a world peace, but it's this universal spiritual peace. Anyone everywhere, regardless of who they are, where they're from, they have a need to have their peace restored with God. It's so important. In fact, I want to show you this morning uh, in our text, our various texts, we're going to jump around of how Jesus's life and ministry begins and ends with this idea of peace. Look what it says in Luke chapter two, verse 14. It says, glory to God in the highest. This is right after the birth of Jesus. Glory to God in the highest heaven on earth, 
peace to those on whom his favor rests. And we know that the favor of God rests on those who have placed their faith in Christ. But look at how Jesus bookends his ministry in John chapter um, excuse me, John chapter 20 in verse 19 through 22. He says, in the evening of that first day of the week, this is after Jesus's resurrection, when the disciples were gathered together with the doors locked for the fear of the Jewish leaders, Jesus came and stood among them and said, peace be with you. After he said this, he showed them his hands and his side. The disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. Again, Jesus said, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. And with that, he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive anyone's sins, their sins are forgiven. If you do not forgive them, they are not forgiven. First and foremost, what did Jesus' breath smell like? I don't, it doesn't give us, it probably smelled bad. I'm just kidding. I don't know. Maybe it smelled like frankincense and I digress. But you notice the life of Jesus begins with this idea of peace. Jesus has come, this baby has been born so that you can receive peace. And the last thing, one of the last things Jesus says, I have brought you peace. I am sending you with peace. Peace is central to who we are. And peace was a massive thing throughout the, the ministry of Jesus. He ushered in peace in ways in which society today is still trying to figure out. You see, he not only just made sinners at peace with a holy and righteous God, but outcasts, people who were pushed aside, he folded them back into society illnesses were being healed and disciples people were given meaning and they were chasing after wealth or identity or influence and they couldn't find peace amidst that he was giving them something beyond this life his grace and his truth comes together these cornerstones of his teaching that my peace is demonstrated first and foremost among you See, this idea of peace goes all the way, though, back to the beginning of time, beginning of Scripture. It's what we would call a garden issue. You see, God creates uh, mankind, creates the world, world, and we talk about this quite often. This is a word that means shalom. It's this Hebrew word. It means unity, harmony. But one of its, its, its meanings is peace. If you ever go to Israel, you talk to someone who speaks Hebrew, that's how they greet people, is shalom. It's a word that doesn't mean hello, it's a word that means, first and foremost, peace. But that shalom was broken because of sin. Simply put, sin, wrongdoing, our actions, breaks our peace with God. Sin is all the wrong things about life. The lust, the lies, the greed, the violence, the injustice, the deception, the oppressions, all of those things. And those things are either something you perhaps choose to do, something that exists in the world, and some of them are just a result of our human nature as fallen people. And these things don't just break our peace with God, they break and harm our relationships with others, do they not? And the kingdom of God slowly gets revealed over time from this creation account for thousands of years, revealing one simple truth, that there is a God who loves you, who desires to be at peace with you. And he has made it known through creation, he has made it known through his word, but especially through the Christmas story of that baby boy by the name of Jesus, saying that God wants to be at peace with you. But it begs the question then, do you want peace? If I were to ask you, well, well, what is peace? What would you say? You might say, well, it means harmony. It means unity. It means quietness, tranquility. What does peace look like for you? And do you 
wanted. Most of us say, of course I want peace. There was a, a recent article I read um, about a, a book that was returned to the Boise, Idaho Public Library. So here's a picture of it. We're going to show you a picture uh, of this. It's actually a book called The Chronicles of Rebecca. And the person who found this book turned it open to the back cover and realized it was checked out in the year 1911 and had never been returned. And so the person saw like, oh, I should probably return this book. And so back in 1911, the late charge for a, a, a day per day, a book was late was two cents. But over 110 years, that amounted to $803. Now, thankfully, the city of, or the, the public library of Boise doesn't accept late charges at all, and they said, let alone would we ever charge a late charge for the cost of that book. But the person was asked, why did you even return this in the first place? Clearly, it wasn't really something and he was looking for. You could buy this book on Amazon for $1.50 today, and the person just simply responded, peace of mind, I guess. You see, whenever something is off, there's this desire, regardless of why or how the peace is broken, we desire this, is that peace must be restored. Our peace must be restored. And again, for the sake of this message, I'm talking about a spiritual peace with God, a rightness relationally with the Father of all things, that God wants to be in a good, right-standing relationship with you. But peace doesn't always come free, right? Look at what the Apostle Paul says in Romans chapter 5, verse 1, signifying this is what it costs in order for us to have peace with God. He says, therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. And Paul will go on to explain that it's not just because Jesus lived, but it's because Jesus died and rose again that he bore the punishment of our sin so that we may be at peace with God. And so I hope this verse comes in one or two ways for you this morning. Number one, I hope it comes as a great reminder of how you arrive at peace with God. That it's nothing that you do other than placing your faith and your trust in Jesus. And that is a daily thing that we should worship and celebrate. Perhaps on the other side, this is your first time hearing that there is a God of love a God of grace who says, I want to be at peace with you. And you don't have to pay me back. You don't have to outdo your bad with some good works. You don't have to kind of put into motion some karmic Christianity. All you need to do is believe that my son, through his body and his blood, died so that we could be at peace together. It's because peace with God comes at a cost. While it may be a free gift to us, while it may not be something that we earn, it did cost Jesus everything. And it's significantly more than a few hundred dollars stacked up over a few decades. But that peace it was paid, provided, and planned by God through his son, Jesus. A holy, good, and righteous God just couldn't turn his back on the brokenness of his creation. But he said, I want to be at peace. And the only way I can be at peace with you the only way I could be at peace with them, the only way I could be at peace with the world is for my righteousness to be solved. And you cannot do it, but I've come up with a way. And he will be born some 2,000 years ago in the city of Bethlehem in a manger so those who profess faith in his work can be at peace with God. So let me ask you again, 
Do you want to be at peace with God? Well, of course I do. <laughs> Duh. Right? If you believe in a holy, almighty, sovereign, just God, you're probably saying, of course I want to be at peace with God. What kind of question is that? Next question. Let's move on. The thing is, what I need us, I think, to sometimes understand is that peace with God doesn't just handle the main sin issue. The peace of God wants to handle all of the other handles that sin has in your life. That the peace of God isn't just to say, cool, you get out of hell, you get into heaven, congratulations, now go and live your merry way and come back to me if you have any questions. The peace of God says, I want to transform you here and now. That there's an inheritance waiting for you in all eternity in heaven. The peace of God has been restored and has been set up through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. But it begins here and now. The peace of God doesn't just say, let me handle the big issue of sin. It says, also, let me take care of the other issues of sin that are causing brokenness, not just between you and God, but brokenness between you and others and the rest of the world. And that looks a whole lot of different ways for each and every one of us. See, the peace of God just doesn't want to say, cool, you've gotten into heaven, but it also says, give me that greed, and I will give you a generous heart. The peace of God is going to say, the world tells you, power is found in how many people serve you, but I will tell you that if you find peace in me, you will realize it is better to serve than to be served. The peace of God will say, do you believe in my plan for sex in the confines of marriage opposed to the way that the world leads it? The world says it's okay to be bitter or unforgiving if they haven't, you know, paid you back. But I will tell you, being forgiving is the way of peace. The peace of God blesses us far beyond our initial problem with sin. But I'm going to go out on a limb here. and say I believe that Jesus didn't sacrifice himself just so that we could get into heaven. Jesus didn't die on the cross for your sin just so that when you die at some point you can have eternal life. That Jesus died so that the peace of God will start now in your life. That the way you live as a husband, a wife, a mother, a father, a friend, a coworker, a boss, an employee, a neighbor, that the peace of God transforms that here and now. Because once we have peace with God, that peace transforms us and transforms our lives with others around us. The Apostle Paul gives us some indication on how central peace is in the life of the believer. In Colossians chapter 3, verse 15, Paul says this. He says, let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. Since as members of one body, you were called to peace and be thankful. He says in 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 15, but he says, if the unbeliever leaves, let it be so. The brother or sister is not bound in such circumstances. God has called us to live in peace. You see, after Jesus' resurrection, after he sends back into heaven, whenever peace comes up, it's rarely talking about purely and only this eternal peace with God, but it's also very clearly talking about a peace, right relationship with other people. It's central in our lives as disciples. And here's something I've been struggling with trying to understand, is that peace isn't necessarily meaning are you right or wrong, but rather, are you trying to be right with others? Because we are first made right with God. Think about it. When it comes down to it, 
and someone maybe creates some tension or they catch you in something you shouldn't be doing, we all have this human instinct to do one of two things, but I believe there is hopefully a third as disciples. Sometimes we defend our wrong actions, right? Well, you know, I didn't really mean it. Well, you know, let me kind of explain where my justification or my heart was behind it. Sometimes we try to deflect it. That's the other main tactic we do. Well, I wouldn't have done that if you didn't provoke me. I wouldn't have responded in that way if you didn't raise your voice first. But I believe the call of the disciples to pursue a third option, and that is to desire peace. It's easy to defend. It's, it's quite simply common to deflect, but the disciple is called to desire peace. And that means if you have broken peace with someone, you should desire to fix it. Or if someone has broken peace with you, you should also desire for that peace to be restored as well. Because pursuing peace means we are swallowing our pride towards God and also with others. In Philippians chapter 2, the greatest swallowing of pride was Jesus. He considered likeness with God something not to be attained, and he came down to human flesh so that we might see and receive his righteousness. Jesus swallowed his pride so that you and I alike could be at peace with God. There is no greater swallowing of pride that sets the example for that. But isn't it always easier said than done, swallowing your pride? You know, my family, um, we, we, we got into this habit of a couple times a week, we play this game called Mario Party on the Nintendo Switch. We have, there's four of us, but our daughter's three, and so she can't really play, but we put a computer in and give her a controller, and she pretends, and whenever the computer wins, great job, Avery, you win, and she's always Princess Peach, and so she's just always excited. And I'm like a really, really competitive person, okay? Uh, like, I'm the type of person where I hate to lose, more so than I like to win. Anyone else kind of got this deficiency in their life? Cool. All right, we'll have a prayer session together after service. I'm just kidding, because, you know, it's the only way to live. No. All right, so anyways, so we play this game called Mario Party. If you've never played Mario Party, what it is, it's like all of these, they're just ridiculous games. Like one of them is you have this little controller, and you have to wash windows to a beat. That's it. There's no dexterity. There's no button pressing. You're literally holding it and just doing this. That's it. There's this giant caterpillar and it's sleeping and you have to pet it and not wake it up. This is the game, okay? Like it's ridiculous, it's fun, everyone can play, but I am still super competitive playing with my wife who doesn't play video games, my five-year-old son who's five, and my three-year-old. And we'll play this game and if I don't win, I get legitimately frustrated. Because I'm like, I'm the one who plays video games here. Literally, there's pictures of me when I was two years old. My dad was playing the OG gray box Nintendo with me in my diaper, okay? And it's just, it's, it's mind-blowing because literally, we'll lose to the computer or like two nights ago, my son literally won a game. And he was like, yes, I won. And I was just like, good job, congratulations. <laughs> it's hard to swallow our pride, isn't it? It's hard to say, I'm happy for you. It's hard to swallow our pride before others when we want to be right, when we want to be the one. But swallowing our pride before God looks like this. God, I need to be right with you. I'm a sinner in need of your grace and by faith, God, I cannot earn this on myself. So I trust in you and your son, Jesus and Jesus alone. We enter the kingdom of God by swallowing our pride. And that peace is supposed to also lead to swallowing our pride with others. Should lead us to say, I value you 
more so than my opinion or perhaps being right. A swallowing our pride leads to pursuing peace and relational rightness, does it not? It doesn't mean we aren't necessarily right or correct. It doesn't mean you necessarily have to affirm someone's choices in life. It doesn't mean you have to exude tolerance. It also doesn't mean you have to be scroogey or grinchy towards others. But what I believe it means this is that if we are at peace with God, then being at peace with God means we're more concerned about people than winning. Being at peace with God means we are more concerned about people than winning. And as someone who really, really likes to win, let me just tell you, that's hard, isn't it? But if we can look at the example that Jesus Christ gave to us, not just in his own life, think about the Sermon on the Mount in which he says, I commend you to be peacemakers, not just peacekeepers. Pursue peace. Let the peace of Christ rule your hearts. You can forget about that tension or that turmoil. Why? Because we live at peace. And pursuing peace with others, let me give you a hint, does not just mean the people who think like you or act like you or vote like you. It's because the peace of Christ binds unlikely people together. Just look around this room. Take a moment. Look around this room. Where other in your life are you going to see this type of disparity of people? Maybe in your workplace, maybe, but probably not. Perhaps in your neighborhood, depending on where you live, but maybe not. Where else do you see people of various ethnicities, socioeconomic status and background? People who have stories of their marriages, what they've been through in life, come together in a centrally located spot, week after week after week. See, the peace of God binds unlikely people together. It's incredible. It doesn't matter your race. It doesn't matter your your background, your history. It doesn't matter the origin of where your parents came from. It doesn't matter where you live, what type of car you drive, what that title says at the end of that name tag at work. It doesn't matter because the peace of Christ binds us all together. So the Apostle Paul says in Ephesians, there is one Lord, one faith, one baptism. Therefore, we are one body in Christ. Think about this. Society is just now catching up to what Jesus had been talking about. Jesus said, there is no longer Jew nor Greek. Jesus was talking about, it doesn't matter if you're rich or poor, male or female, you have a place in the family of God. And society is just now saying, you know what's good? Diversity. You know what we should do? is celebrate the differences of people in our life. And Jesus is like, I know, bro. I've been talking about this for thousands of years. It's how I created us all to be, to live in harmony and peace with one another. The world is just finally even getting a glimpse of what Jesus has started to talk about for thousands of years. It's because peace binds unlikely people together. And being at peace with God means we're more concerned about people than at winning. So let me uh, close the message here this morning. I just want to give a simple challenge here as we get ready to move on with our service is to choose peace this Christmas. If your family is any like mine, they'll never become a dinner, a get-together, 
You can have someone who's sitting across that table eating that turkey or that ham or whatever it is who's going to have a different opinion than you. Someone you work with is going to say something about Christmas that you like or dislike. There's going to be an opportunity to jump into a conversation. You can either get fired up and really angry about it or you can pursue peace. Remind yourself that you are at peace with God, therefore you can pursue peace with others. It's okay to swallow that pride. It's okay to not win that argument or that discussion. It's not the end of the world if they don't see things the way that you see things. Life will go on just fine. But if you can pursue peace, I guarantee you it puts everything in the proper perspective that everyone can belong to the family of God. Because with Christmas comes a lot of highs and lows. For some of you, Christmas is the best time of the year. You get to see family that you haven't seen in a long time. And for others of us, sometimes Christmas is the hardest time of the year, is it not? Because we don't get to see family that we've grown up accustomed seeing. But peace is all the more the same. Christmas can be calm, can be chaotic, You can be consumed. Did I get the right presents? Do I still have my house in order? Okay, weird Uncle Al's gonna come over and I gotta grit it out through another one of those, those, those rants or triads or whatever it is. We can still choose peace. Just think of it this way. That even if nothing else goes your way this Christmas, you still have peace with I want you guys to stand. We're going to continue by singing that. In Jesus, we find this peace, both for ourselves with God, but also ourselves with each other. Let this be our prayer today. of love, what depths of peace, when fears are still, when striving cease, my comforter, my all in all, here in the love of Christ, I stand, oh, 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 oh. Day 
from the grave he rose again and as he stands in victory since curse has lost its grip on me for i am his and he is mine bought with the precious blood of christ oh, 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 oh. the power of Christ in me from life's first cry to final breath Jesus commands my destiny no power of hell no scheme of man can ever pluck me from his hand till he returns or calls me home here in the power of Christ I stand oh, 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 oh. Oh, oh, oh in Christ seat. There we go. We'll spend some time uh, here reflecting on why and how we are at peace with God this morning. And it's not because of anything that we have done, but because of what communion is that remembrance of each and every week. The body of Christ broken for you, the blood of Christ shed for you, and that same body that rose again on the third day saying that if you have faith in me, Welcome to the family. Welcome, son. Welcome, daughter, to the kingdom of God. As we prepare for a time of communion, I invite you to get your communion elements out. I'm going to read again that verse from Colossians chapter 3, verse 15, as we enter into this time. It says, 
let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, since as members of one body, you were called to peace and be thankful. Let's continue to worship in remembering Jesus through a time of communion right now.